If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. Welcome to the Trout Bitten Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. I'm Dominic Swantoski, the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. I'm here to introduce a new format to the Trout Bitten Podcast. This second season is a mini-series of connected episodes that build out specific tactics. It's what I call a trout bitten skills series. Uh, these episodes are short, deeply tactical, and packed with the how-tos of just one technique. There's no question and answer round up front, and there's not much conversation here. Just a sharing of information that gets to the heart of the method at hand. Each episode is sort of intertwined or woven together with the others that surround it. Uh, by the end of this skills series, you'll have a detailed picture of the tactics and hopefully a thorough understanding of what's possible on the water. Think of a trout bitten skills series as a course in one topic or one aspect of fly fishing with different sections that eventually build a full set of knowledge. I believe these episodes are for everyone, but they'll probably connect most with the intermediate and advanced angler. There's a lot of supporting article content on the Trout Bitten website, and the podcast series sort of goes hand-in-hand hand with those articles. I should mention that later in the winter, we'll get back to the Season 1 podcast format of conversation and discussion with a full panel of my friends, because we all love that too. That'll be Season 3, and we're looking forward to it. Uh, but this skills series format allows for some intense exploration of what makes fly rod tactics work. And through the next few seasons and years, I think we'll keep this platform in the mix. All right. So what about the topic for the first skills series? The Troutbitten website features some series-style writing, like chapters in a book. And I recently finished the last article in one of my favorite series. After six months, I published the final piece on the nine essential skills for tight line and urinymphing. And that is the topic for this first Troutbitten skills series. 
nine skills, nine podcasts. We'll talk about it. We'll expand on the written ideas and break down the details of each of those skills. So I'm here with my longtime friend and trout bitten guide, Austin Dando. What's up, buddy? Hey, how we doing? Doing well. Did you fish today? No, but I fished two days ago. There you go. How'd it go? <laughs> it was good. Got to explore some new water, which was mm. part of the uh, New Year's resolution. So it's a good start to the new year. Nice. You gonna catch up with Bill? Get a hundred, uh, <laughs> hundred streams in one year? I don't think I was. Well, you never know. No, none of us have that kind of time. <laughs> I won't say it, but I don't think I have the time. <laughs> no, I was out today. I'll tell you. Interestingly, this winter so far, um, I've had to go smaller and smaller. Mm. Some of my, st- I mean, the standard stuff's working. But some of my most standard stuff, uh, unexpectedly, is a little slow. But man, when I go smaller, like 18s, 20s, yeah, um, on that tag and running that tag low on that nymph, um, yeah, been doing unexpectedly better. Maybe that's just the last week, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, good stuff. Hey, are you ready to talk about some tactics? Yeah, man, let's do it. All right, before we really dig into the nuts and bolts, we should start here with a solid understanding of these rigs. And Austin... Will you briefly tell us about tight line and Euronymphing? Sure. Um, so tight line and, and Euronymphing is uh, super popular right now. Uh, yeah. Anglers love the contact and the control they have over those flies. Uh, knowing where your fly is and dictating its path all the way through the drift, uh, it keeps us fishing and you know, rather than just hoping. Uh. On a tight line, we stop guessing uh, what's going on with those nymphs under the water because we know where and how the nymphs are drifting. All that contact and control, of course, leads to more trout in the net, which is great. Yeah, nice. Um, catching fish provides more chances to learn. Uh, if you fool a trout and you get a chance to understand why those trout ate your fly, mm. um, and then we dial in the water type, a depth, a presentation, speed, and, and more things like that. Mm-hmm. And we think it's that learning, that mystery, and that problem solving that attracts so many anglers to the fly rod and to tight line tactics in particular. It's an efficient system, and it's, it's really fun, uh, but tightline and Euronymphing is misunderstood, too. Yeah. Um, the many different rigs and methods of casting or delivery or make all of this so interesting, uh, but it's what leads to confusion and mistaken concepts about what this is and how to get it done. Yeah. The skill series uh, addresses all of that. It covers the nine essential skills for tightline and Euronymphing. These concepts and skills uh, truly set the base for every other variation that follows. Want to add an indie to a tight line and indicator style? Want to fish streamers on a mono rig or, or a tight line dry dropper? These nine skills are critical. They're the foundation for everything else. What's more, understanding these skills in depth is what allows the advanced angler to make decisions, to adapt their own rig, to make leader adjustments, select heavier or stiffer material for a butt section. You know, they could choose a split shot over weighted flies mm. or carry four-weight fly rod rather than a three-weight. With deep knowledge, by knowing these skills inside and out, we have the key to the map, sort of the cheat code for the game. <laughs> the cheat code. Nice. So that's a good overview of tightline tactics. All right, so this first Trout Pit and Skills series is about the nine essential skills for tightline and Euronymphing. And here they are. Here's all nine. Angle and approach. That's what we're going to cover today. Turnover and tuck casting, sticking the landing, recovering slack, finding contact, locating the strike zone, guiding the flies, the strike, and then putting it all together. All right, so there you go. Each of those nine skills has its own episode, and the series begins right here with number one, angle and approach. 
All right, so I believe that most listeners tuning in probably have a good idea about what a monorig, a tight line system, or Euronymphing is. But let's define the terms a little bit. Uh, my friends and I call our favorite tight line system a monorig because we use monofilament to do what a fly line can do, but with much less drag in the system. So it's a tight line rig, a leader, long enough to keep the fly line on the spool or at least not out of the rod guides. We don't call it Euronymphing all the time because we use tactics other than that. Uh, Euronymphing is a tight line system with nothing attached to the leader but the flies themselves. And while that's a great way to fish, it's also limiting uh, because we also use split shots sometimes and we attach indicators plenty of times. Uh, we fish all types of streamers on this system too. Versatility is the key. The trout pit and standard mono rig, as we call it, is built for working with all of that. And last point here, we use a butt section that is thick enough to cast and push things around. Although we occasionally employ the specialized tools of thin and micro-thin leaders, our standard rig is built for fly line style casting and not just lobbing weights around. And that is extremely important for versatility. We're going to talk about that casting style in episode two. Uh, if you'd like more information about the monorig or about tight line and Euronymphing systems, I have two resources for you before we get started. Um, first, you can find hundreds, yes, hundreds of articles on Trout Bitten in the menu under Articles. Also, the guys and I did a podcast in episode four of season one titled Fly Fishing the Monorig, Versatility and the Tight Line Advantage Taken Further. Right, Austin? <laughs> That's right. That was a good one. Yep. All right, so... Let's get into the meat of things here. Let's get going. The first critical skill of tight line and euronymphing is angle and approach. Now let's talk about it. How far away are we casting, Austin? Mm, not too far. <laughs> right. Um, one of the best things we can do when, especially first starting out, is kind of limit our range that we're casting. Yeah. Uh, we start casting too long, too soon. Um, all the stuff that we're trying to dial in gets harder and harder to do. So that natural range is about uh, two to three times the length of the rod, I'd say. Um, yeah, I think 30 feet, you know, 25, 35 is really starting to push it. And I would also say people tend to really overestimate or underestimate mm. how far they're really casting. So, you know, yeah. you can you can grab your line, measure it against your 10-foot rod, if that's what you have, and go, right. okay, I have 10 feet out to the rod tip and then 10 feet back, and now an extra four feet there. So I'm casting 24 feet. I have, well, I have 24 feet of maximum reach, you know, yep. and that's kind of how I measure things out. But yeah, if you limit that range, because if you go too far too soon, it's hard to learn it too, right? Yeah. And we have this natural tendency, I think, as people to, to want to keep reaching and keep reaching because it gets fun, maybe exciting or something, mm. but the further we go, the less accurate we get too, right? Oh, um, for sure. Those things that we learn at close range, um, kind of pay dividends when we want to try to cast a little further. Mm. I mean, I think every sport is like that. You know, you, you're, yeah. you're not trying to hit the home run first. You're just trying to hit the ball. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I mean, really, every, everything, you learn it close, learn the small things, That's, learn the fundamentals, and then you can, you know, build on that and take it further. And even when I start having trouble uh, on the stream, or if I'm not feeling dialed in, yeah. I will really limit myself to, okay, 20 feet. Two rod right. lengths away. Yeah. Like you said, that natural range is kind of like two to three times the length of the rod. And I've started saying it that way because if you're fishing with an 11-foot rod, your range is longer than mine because I like sure. a 10-foot rod, you know? Yep. And, and the next guy might be fishing an eight-and-a-half-foot rod. That's what I started with. I fished an eight-and-a-half-foot rod for 
five years on all this yeah. tightline stuff. Yeah. You know, and so that's a dramatically different range. Uh, it's more than just a couple feet. You factor in all the angles. You can reach a lot further with an 11 foot rod than an eight and a half. Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt about that. So that long distance, if you try to go too far and take this to too long of a distance, it takes away that tight line advantage. And really, let me define that, I guess. What I call a tight line advantage is when you can keep line up and off of the water. That's essentially what we're trying to do here. Everything that touches the water drags. Everything that goes under the water drags even more. So the tight line advantage is keeping things up and out of the water, everything that we possibly can. Yeah. If you start to fish further away, you take that tight line advantage away from you. You might have sag happening from the leader. Um, you might have to lay line on the water. That tight line advantage is, is very much, it's not an advantage anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's best to learn everything close before going long. I, I should mention, too, we talked a little bit about leaders in, in just kind of describing what all of this is. All of these nine essential skills apply to every style of leader, even if you're fishing a micro-thin or a thin leader, or if you're fishing sort of this standard, what I call standard, this 20-pound, or if you're fishing a 15-pound butt section, all of these skills translate absolutely to each style of leader. Yeah. Now, some of them, we're going to get to tuck casting in the next episode, and tuck casting is better performed with a more powerful leader. But yeah, all of these skills translate. For sure. All building blocks, no matter what style you use. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, what direction do we fish in? Um, broadly speaking, upstream. Yeah. Um, when we're fishing a tight line system, that's that's what we want to do because we're looking for drag-free drifts. Mm-hmm. And the way to attain that is to cast upstream of our cells and, and fish it back to us. Yeah, the drag-free stuff only happens when you can keep things in one seam. And yeah. the only way to really keep things drag-free in one seam is if you're working upstream. And we don't necessarily mean directly upstream let's talk about the angles yeah i like to cast upstream and over one rod length right on you know so i might cast upstream 25 feet but only over let's say 10 feet Eh, put a little bit of arm length in there so over 12 feet okay i don't really like to reach too far yeah so upstream 25 and over 12 and that's kind of your perfect angle of approach you know yeah when i think about it you know, I only cast as far or reach as far as what the flies will come back to my rod tip as. Mm-hmm. Um, if they start tracking outside my reach of my rod tip, then I know that drift is no longer drag free. Yeah. Um, so I only cast as far as what my flies will come back to myself. They are always tracking toward your rod tip on a tight line. Yeah. That's perhaps the most right. important thing to understand is that yep. they are going to track toward your rod tip and it doesn't matter what kind of leader you're using. If you use a very, very thin leader, yes, they will track, e- they'll track less toward, there will be less yeah, pull toward your rod. You know, it'd be less sag. Uh, that also depends on how far out you're going. At like 15 feet, it doesn't matter. The leader, leader doesn't matter. Even at 20 yeah. feet, quite honestly, I don't think the leader matters. But yeah, as you get further out there, it's even more important then not to go further across than wh- what your rod tip can reach. Hey, yeah. you guide, you know, you and I both guide a lot. And yep. This 45 degree to 45 degree thing that everybody seems to want to do, uh, wherever they see that they want to cast, they often go right across from it. Right. Wherever they think the fish is, they often go right across from it. So and then they'll cast yeah. 45 degrees up from it, drift past the fish, and then end their drift 45 degrees downstream. Now, if we do that, the whole time, that fly is, again, tracking toward our rod tip. 
Yep. Like I said earlier, I think we have a tendency to want to reach further and further. And Mm. I especially see that probably most is when we're guiding. So instead of that 45 to 45, we want to cast again upstream two rod lengths and then over one rod length. If you go 45 to 45 and you actually watch where the fly went in and then look where it comes out, you will see that your fly made progress across seams toward you and toward your rod tip three, four, five, six, eight feet sometimes. And I'll often point that out to people. Sometimes I'll grab the rod and say, okay, watch me do it. If I go 45 to 45, now watch the splash of the nymph and watch how the whole time you can see it's crossing seams, crossing seams, crossing seams. Is that a dead drift? No. I mean, no, it's not, it's not a dead drift. Will they eat it sometimes? Absolutely. Right. You know, <laughs> and some days they'll even eat it better than a dead drift, but those are rare days and rare fish. On yeah. picky fish, in most wild trout situations, you need that one seam dead drift, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that should be our baseline anyway, our baseline angle and approach, you know, that upstream two rod lengths and over one. Yeah. If I'm to just generalize it, that's what it is. Upstream two rod lengths, 20 to 25 feet, and then over one rod length, 10 to 12 feet, you know? And then you drift back down and talk about this. How far should we let the flies come downstream when do we pick them up pretty much i mean the sweet spot of your drift really is when the flies get to you and as soon as they're past you it's pretty much over yeah um so as soon as the flies are downstream of you um it doesn't take much of just being slightly below you they'll start to swing and track out of those lanes again and if we're fishing upstream that stuff that we're drifting past ourselves Mm -hmm. we've already fished correctly through yeah yeah i already fished that. so unless it's some yeah unless it's some special occasion where we've got emerging bugs and they're really keen on a swing and you know that's great sometimes that happens and they'll eat it um you know when when flies are starting to lift or, or drag some way funny but most of the times out of the year we're not dealing with that we're dealing with natural drag free presentations so after we get done with that drift coming across ourselves and starting to reach below our position we pick them up set them into the next cast and move our way upstream right on Yeah. And you said the sweet spot of your drift. And we're going to talk more about this in episodes that are coming up. We're going to talk about the strike zone and how to recognize that strike zone and how to tuck cast and get your flies down into that strike zone sooner. And you can really maximize that sweet spot of your drift by learning how to allow the flies to drop into that strike zone. So you don't have to wait for them to drop. I will often meet people that say, well, I'm going to, I have to cast far because those flies have to have a chance to drop. That's just not true. I know, and we're going to address that in, in future podcasts. So, so in general, we're working upstream, and we're not fishing past our position. Like you said, when that fly gets right across from me or beyond my position, again, you can watch it. You can see, well, that's when it's going to start tracking toward the rod tip. And yeah. your rod tip has to start, you know, kind of coming out of that lane. So it starts pulling right. the flies out of that lane. can only lead them so far. Yeah. You can lift those flies and do all that stuff, you know, looking like emerging caddis. Great. If it's that kind of day and if they're hitting it, do it, you know. But again, our baseline approach, our essential skill of this angle and approach is upstream, you know, and pick it up. We're just using half of the drift, but boy, it's the good half. You know, that that back half, (laughs) start thinking about it. Am I catching anything downstream of me? If you're not, then just use that upside of the drift. That's generally what we do, you know. Yep, great points. Mm. We all know that having the right fly is another piece to the puzzle, and that's where Fulling Mill comes in. The tactical anchor collection from Fulling Mill is designed to give tightline and euro-nymphing anglers their favorite confidence flies, but with the extra control they need for the perfect drift. 
As such, each pattern is offered with multiple bead sizes per hook size, and that's a unique advantage. Every pattern is backed by the 200% fulling mill guarantee. If a fly isn't up to the highest standards that you expect, they will replace it with two that are. Stock up at FullingMill.com or ask for their flies at your local dealer. Tactical Fly Fisher was started in 2015 by Fly Fishing Team USA angler Devin Olson with a mission to bring American anglers the techniques and gear that dominate the international competitive fly fishing scene. While you may have no desire to compete, you can still benefit from the same strategies which competitive anglers use to make them more successful on the water. Whether you want to buy a urine-nymphing rod, a stillwater fly line, or just some hooks and beads to fill your fly box, we've got you covered. And our teaching materials will help you learn how to use whatever products fill up your cart. Head on over to the tacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TFF10 to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. You know, all this is great, but if, if we really want to achieve that best angle for ourselves, mm-hmm. we often have to wade in position. So the other uh, topic here is to wade more as a fisherman. Um, all this means that there's a fairly limited range of distance and angles that uh, gets the most out of a tight line rig. Yeah. Yeah. If you really want that one seam approach, you have to wade a lot. Um, if you're on a tight line rig and you're not going to add an indie, and you really do want a dead drift, you're going to have to wade quite a bit. You know, a, a tight line angler is a wading angler. And somebody who's willing to move into those perfect positions, really. You can push it. You can cast further across than one rod length. But yeah. you, if you really start paying attention, you're going to notice that your success rate goes down. Right on. The more that those flies are tracking and coming across seams, the fewer fish are going to buy it. So we wade a lot. Instead of casting yeah. further, we don't cast across we wade more, you know? Yeah. Fish as close as you can. Mm-hmm. I catch myself doing that sometimes too, or maybe I'll get lazy or tired and I won't want to push into the next riffle. I have to remind myself that the drifts that I'm offering those fish are not really worth very much. And, uh, yeah. you know, get closer to the fish. If you're able to get closer to the fish, do it. Yeah. Well, you got to stay disciplined, you know? Mm. Yeah. And well, a lot of this is really just thinking about what we're doing and remaining, uh, not just hopeful, but knowing that if we do things right, that we'll catch more fish. And then by catching more fish, we learn more, and then we know how to catch more fish after that. Right on. You know, and but staying disciplined and fishing then only what you can reach or you can get great drifts in. I mean, if you can cast, okay, 30 feet over to that bank and across the stream, great. Okay. But are they going to eat it? Probably not, you know? That said, I mean, as I'm wading upstream, there's plenty of casts that I take. I go, I'm just going to shoot one over there and just let them see it. I say that all the time. Like, just let them see it. Okay, it's not going to be a perfect drift, overhanging brush, or the the wading is too difficult. Throw it over there, get it on that soft side or the inside seam, and let them see it. Okay, you know, (laughs) just because I can't get a perfect drift doesn't mean I'm going to ignore it. But I'm going to spend most of the day waiting, getting into that perfect angle that and having that perfect approach upstream two rod lengths and over one generally, you know? Right on. All right. So really last point here. Um, we have to find our water to learn all of, all of this in. We've talked a lot about staying close, you know, being disciplined, learning things close so we can take them eventually further away. But you also want to find the right water type. We do not recommend fishing pools and flats to start out tight line nymphing. Or if you're trying to refine one aspect of these nine skills we're going to talk about, don't choose pools. Don't do it in a pool. Don't even do it in a slow Mm. flat. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Choose riffles and runs and pocket water. Avoid those pools and long flats for learning or refining any of this stuff. Trout like moving water. They like the riffles and the runs because, you know, the nymphs need that extra oxygen. When trout want to eat, I mean, dude, I mean, they, they go into the, <laughs> right? They're in yep. moving water. So we like yep. to fish there. Yeah, and a lot of what this comes down to is, mm-hmm. is having fun too, right? Right. So if we can set ourselves up in, in the best water to learn and, and catch fish quicker, mm. we're going to be more apt to want to go do it again and keep learning. So uh, don't handicap yourself in, in putting yourself in some unfavorable water right out of the gate. Yeah, and, and you know, I think flats and pools, that slower water takes a certain kind of patience. Yeah, Right. Yeah. And especially if you're trying to refine something, like you said, it's a lot more fun in that moving water where, where your drifts aren't 20 yeah. seconds long, 25 <laughs> right. seconds, you know, 30 seconds long. Yeah. You're banging exactly. it in there. You're getting yourself a 15, 20 foot drift and boom, you're taking it out, putting it right back yeah. in. And yeah. over and over, we're trying to make uh, the best drift in one seam. And when we see that, then we'll move on. Yeah. We're going right. to talk about that stuff in future episodes of this uh, Essential Skills series. It's kind of exciting. Yeah. Anything else, Austin? Maybe something good to mention right off the start here is Mm -hmm. is the type of rods that we might use um, for this type of skill. You don't need a specialized rod, but, you know, if you're going to try it between a three and five weight, eight and a half to 10 foot rod, Mm -hmm. pretty good to start out on. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Uh, We don't need a specialized rod, but I don't want to use a seven foot rod for this, you know? Yeah. (laughs) The extra reach is nice. Yep. We also don't need a very specialized tool of an 11 foot two weight. And you can do a lot of things with a versatile rod. We'll get into some of that later in this series too. All right, friends. So that's number one, angle and approach. Uh, You should know there's a companion article for each of these episodes, and you can find the full series of articles over at troutbitten.com. I'll include that direct link in the show notes. The next skill is about delivering the fly. It's about turnover and tuck casting. So look for that in your Trout Bitten podcast feed. Also, there are nine episodes in this Essential Skills series, so subscribe to the Trout Bitten podcast and follow along. Remember, troutbitten.com is a free resource for all anglers. With over 800 articles, there are stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Uh, Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and tags, too. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment because that really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water.